Well, that's some pretty great singing, and welcome. We want to say thank you for being here, Blue Water. My name's Tim. I'm one of the pastors here uh, at the church. Uh, Last week, I was over at the Divine Campus, and um, it is still really unfamiliar over there for me. Um, Like, I I like here because I I feel like I can see all of you, even those of you at the back. And listen, we're Baptists. We know we love the back. I can still see you at that other campus. It's like way back there. I can't. So anyway, I'm just, uh, I'm glad you're here. I'm glad to be back here. And uh, thanks for being here this morning. That was really fantastic singing. Really appreciate that. A couple things I want to let you know about. The first thing is um, it is really exciting to be a part of what God is doing at at Blue Water right now. I'm so thankful that he has been so kind to us. And um, last week, we had um, a pretty cool thing happen. Um, Last week, we had a, a record attendance for Blue Water for a Sunday that wasn't like Easter or Christmas or one of those type of Sundays. So, so last week we had more people that came to Blue Water than we've ever had for a kind of regular Sunday. And listen, it's not all about the... It's not all about the numbers of attenders. We get that. We're, we, we want Jesus to change people. That's what we want to really, uh, that's what we're really excited about. But it's still kind of cool to celebrate what God's doing, right, with attendance and that kind of thing. So I think that's, that's pretty cool. So thank you for being a part of it. Um, the other thing, um, oh, I got a, uh, someone sent me this this week, um, and I just wanted to let you, uh, let you in on a little thing, what I'm thinking. Um, can we show that slide? So we got an extra hour of sleep last night. And uh, I, I'm just assuming that you guys want to spend it right here, right? So I'll preach for... The last service thought it was funnier than you guys thought it was. <laughs> when I was in high school, my first job, my first, not real job, my first uh, sort of real job, my first part-time job was at Purdy's Fisheries down in Point Edward. Anybody been to Purdy's? It's kind of, okay, so you guys know Purdy's, right? So I was one of the guys that like cut up all the fish and did all that kind of thing. And um, it was amazing because after you spend like, you know, six, eight, 10, 12 more hours literally wading through fish guts, you end up smelling um, not awesome, Um, interesting, fragrant, (laughs) pungent, (laughs) aromatic. And the spell was so strong on me that when I, when I would get home from work, my mom said that I wasn't allowed to enter the house through the doors that everybody else did. I had to come through the garage. And she said, you, you, come, you, you enter the house through the garage, you go straight to the laundry room, you leave your, your fish gut covered clothes there, and you go straight to the shower. And I would head to the shower and I would lather up and I would scrub down and I would come out of that shower feeling so much better. I would feel like just a completely new person. You guys ever had that experience? where like you're dirty and you come out of the shower, you just feel like a new person. Now, you know one thing I never did? I never ever once was even tempted to come out of that shower feeling so good, feeling so fresh, feeling so clean, feeling so like uh, good smelling. (laughs) I was never tempted to go back and put those fishy clothes back on. No one would do that. Of course we wouldn't do that. That would make zero sense. Well, we're working through uh, the book of Colossians here at Blue Water. We've been doing this for a number of months. And and what we're going to see today that Paul is going to talk about putting off our old self. So if you have your copy of God's Word, and and as we say week after week, it is so important to have your own copy of God's Word. I would love for you to open it to Colossians chapter 3. Colossians chapter 3. And what we're going to see as you're turning there is uh, what Paul does in many of his books is that he uh, takes the first half of the book and he uh, describes 
what Christians believe. So usually in the front half of, of Paul's books, he's, he's talking about, hey, if you believe in Jesus, this is what you need to believe uh, if you are a follower of Jesus Christ. Then in the second half of the books, what he often does is he um, prescribes how Christians behave. So the first half, he talks about the theology, the doctrine of it, right? This is what you need to believe. And then the second half, he's like, hey, if you believe this, this then is how you are going to behave. All right, so um, Colossians chapter 3, starting in verse 1. We're going to walk all the way down to verse 11. We're just going to take this a chunk at a time. Are you ready? You ready to do this? All right, two people are ready. Let's do it. Two is enough. Colossians chapter 3, verse 1. Paul says, if then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on earth. For you have died and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with him in glory. So Paul's saying that there is one, only one way that someone who follows Jesus can actually do that. And here's what it is. We set our hearts, we set our minds on things that are above, not on earthly things. Now Jesus himself said something about this in Matthew chapter 6, verse 33. We'll put it on the screen for you. It says, uh, Jesus said, but seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness, and all these things will be added unto you. In other words, don't be consumed with earthly things. Don't spend yourself on earthly things. And listen, here's what we always say. It's not a matter of whether, but which. It's not whether, but which. It's not whether you're going to spend yourself on something. We, by default, are always going to spend ourselves on something. That's just how it goes. The question is, which thing are we going to spend ourselves on? Am I going to spend myself on a king and a kingdom on King Jesus? Or am I going to spend myself on myself? I'm at this point in my life, it's an interesting place to be at the point in life that I am at where, where I can now, um, really in some ways for the first time, I can look at the rear view mirror of my life and I can see with some significant certainty how the decisions that I have made have played themselves out in my life, in the life of my family, in the life of those around me. And I can see like, okay, this decision, how has that worked itself out? And this decision, how has that worked itself out? And you know what, I'm farther down the road than a lot of you are, not as far as some of you. But what I can promise you is that decisions that are made, decisions that are made um, with heaven in view, decisions that are made to follow a king in a kingdom, you will never, ever regret that. Now, I didn't say that it's the easy way. I didn't say that it was the popular way. I didn't say that it was the fun way. What I did say is that you will never, ever regret making decisions to follow Jesus. What have I spent my life on? Is it a king in a kingdom? Or have I spent myself on the altar of money or power or sex or fame or comfort, stuff? 
It's not always the easy way, but we will never, ever regret living for a king, king in a kingdom. So, in light of the fact that, as Paul says, we will appear with Jesus when our lives are hidden in him, well, how do we go about doing this? How do we go about fixing our hearts and our minds on things that are above, not unearthly things? Like, that seems to be a fairly significant question if we are talking about this, doesn't it? So, how do we go about doing this? I'm glad you asked. Let's look at verse 5. Paul says, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. What is that? Well, he answers that question too. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these things, the wrath of God is coming. Now, that's a list. It's not a definitive list of the things that we need to put off or the things that we need to put to death. How weird would it be if we tried to put on new clothes or fresh clothes without putting off the other ones first. So what would it have been like or how would people have responded to me if I was on my way home from uh, cutting fish all day and said to myself, oh, okay, I, need to, I, I wanna hang out with my friends, um, uh, but here's what I'm gonna do. I need to get there quick, so I'm gonna forego the, the bathing part of this ritual. So I'm not going to go uh, take off the, the, the gross clothes. I'm going to um, just put on the new clothes over top of the fish guts, and then I'm just going to go out. How, how would that response have been? Probably not that great, right? We know this because that makes no sense. So we need to put off the old self so that we can put on the new self. Now, to be clear, when we're talking about putting off the old self, we're talking about putting it to death, we need to put to death our old self. Um, let me use this as an example. Every once in a while you see on the news uh, someone who got a hold of a, like a big jungle cat when, the, when it's a kitten and decide to keep it as a pet. Have you seen news? And when they're little, I mean, they are so cute, right? It looks like Simba from The Lion King and like, this is gonna be great. And w when they are little, they are so cute. But when they grow up, they almost always either maul or kill their owner. And it's like, this was my pet. How could this do this to me? No, no, no. It wasn't your pet. It's an alpha predator. <laughs> it does what alpha predators do. It's going to kill you. And it's the same thing with our sin nature. We can't, like, play with our sin nature. We can't cuddle with our sin nature. We've got to take it out into the street and put it down. That's what you do to an alpha predator. Or it will kill you. If you were here, was it a year ago? We did a series on the seven deadly sins and there was this quote from this old dead guy named John Owen who we, 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 we said this quote time and time again. He said, be killing sin or, do you remember? Be killing sin or it will be killing you. And this is exactly what Paul's saying here. You've got to put the old nature off. You've got to put it to death because if you don't, it will kill you. And he, he talks about these type of behaviors that we need to put off because they're not honoring to God and they're not beneficial for human flourishing. And this isn't a definitive list. This is just a, um, a, a list of examples. And so look at the list. He says, put off sexual immorality, impurity, passion, evil desire, and covetousness, which is idolatry. Now, these are sins of passion and excess. And as we think about this and as we process through this, we also need to really... Um, come to the realization that probably, like what, maybe 95% of our entertainment is characterized by this list? 
What was the last thing that you watched? Movie, TV show, whatever. Or read? Or the last reel that you flipped through on social that couldn't be characterized by something here? I was talking with someone just the other day and we were talking about what movies we'd seen. I, I could hardly remember the last movie I'd seen, but, but I was like, oh, it, it wasn't a bad one. And then we started processing through about the movie, and it was like, oh, for being not, a, not one of the bad movies, like, I mean, it was kind of characterized by what was here. <laughs> Man, we've got to be careful with what we consume. We've got to be careful with what we entertain ourselves with. Every one of those things, every reel, every book, every article on the internet, every TV show, they're all sermons. They're all sermons with the worldview that's trying to convince you to mold to their way of thinking, their worldview. So we need to be very careful to set our mind on things above. Now, if you look at this list that Paul uh, mentions here, the, most of these words have to do with our sexuality. Now, I'm going to blow your mind with something that I'm about to say. We need to honor God with our sexuality. Buckle up, because here it is. Do you know that your sexuality is not primarily given for your gratification? What? <laughs> Knew it was going to blow your mind. But it's true. Your sexuality, the first thing with your sexuality is not primarily given for your self-gratification and it's also not the first part of your identity. Is our sexuality part of us? Yeah, it's a gift from God. Certainly it is. But to see it either as the, the, the prime, um, the, the biggest thing, the big E on the I chart of our identity or as primarily for our, our own gratification, no, that's, that's gonna hurt you. <laughs> That's like a big cat that's going to start as a kitten, but it's going to end up killing you. There is so much more to you than your sexuality. Is it part of you? Yes, but there's so much more to you than that. And we need to put off unbiblical ideas about sexuality and put on biblical ideas. Okay, we've got to keep rolling through this list. I wish we could stop and talk more about every one of these, but... I was actually kidding about that slide that said with the, spend the extra hour here. If we don't keep moving, it's going to be reality. Okay, look at the last thing on this list because this kind of blew my mind when I saw it. Does it blow yours? He says, um, uh, put off covetousness, which is, what did it say? Say it a little louder. Idolatry. Covetousness is idolatry? Now, if you would ask me, hey, um, what, is, what is coveting? What is covetousness? Well, it's looking at what someone else has and saying, I want that thing. That thing should be mine. If you were going to ask me and say, hey, are you, are you an idolater? Are you an idol worshiper? Do you make idols and bow down to those things? I would say, well, I mean, no. Um, ex except anytime I look at something or someone that God has given someone else in his great kindness and mercy and think, I should have that thing or, or person or I want that thing or that person. What I'm doing is I'm fundamentally saying, God, you don't know what you're up to. You are not running this universe very well and if you did know what you're doing, you would give me what I want. And really what I'm doing when I'm covetous is um, I'm making an idol of that thing and I'm bowing down to it. And these lifestyles, these things, 
these, these ways that we live, these, they're not just differences of opinion. They're not just alternative ways to live. They are fundamentally harmful to humanity. And Paul tells us in verse six, and this is kind of mind-blowing, that it's because of these things that the wrath of God is coming. Now, if you've been around church for any amount of time, you've probably heard that God loves you. Have you heard that, that God loves you? Have you heard that because of the wrong that we've done and the right that we should have done but didn't, that God has wrath for us? That God is properly, justly, righteously wrathful towards us? Have you heard that? That's what Paul's saying. And the only thing that we can do to get out from under that wrath is to have that wrath poured out on Christ on the cross instead of us. All we can do is believe in Jesus by faith that what he did on the cross was to actually take that wrath that was coming for us. It was mine. It had my name on it. But when I believed in Jesus, he stepped in the way and on the cross he took God's wrath for me. He didn't pay Satan off for me. He didn't do any of the other things that some people say Jesus did on the cross. No, no, no. He paid the wrath of God that was justly mine. And I can't buy it. I can't earn it. I certainly don't deserve it. All I can do is receive that free gift from Jesus. And then God's wrath that's pointed at me, that has my name on it, is turned away because it was poured out on Christ. And this is why we can't leave well enough alone. This is why we can't live and let live. This is why we can't, um, um, well, let's use this as a picture. Let's say we saw someone and they were sitting there and they started up a chainsaw and they were cutting their leg off with their chainsaw. And, and how unloving would it be of us to say, well, that's just their opinion. That's just the way that they want to live. Who am I to say that what they're doing isn't right? Who am I to say that what they're doing is going to hurt them? No, no. It is radically unloving to not warn people about the natural results of the way that they're living. It is so unloving when we know the truth. But because too many of us have our minds and our hearts fixed squarely on earth, and I see this in myself, way too often because I have my mind and my heart fixed too squarely on what people's opinion of is of me and whether they think well of me and whether they might think less of me if I were to tell them the truth because my mind and my heart are fixed too often on earth and not on things above let's look at verse 7 we got to keep going this is one of the really important verses in this whole section. Look at verse seven. In these, so the, the, these that he's talking about is the things that, bring, that are bringing the wrath of God, okay? So God's wrath is coming. Look at verse seven. In these, you too once walked when you were living in them. He's telling us, hey man, you're a Christian, that's awesome. You're not any better than anybody else. You don't, like, it's not because of how great or amazing you are that God's wrath isn't pointed at you anymore. It's not, it doesn't have anything to do at, with you at all because we all walked in those ways once. But some of us have turned and believed in Jesus, 
repented of our sin. Look at verse eight. But now, okay, so in these you too once walked when you lived in them, uh, verse eight, but now you must put them all away. And he has a, another list, a different list here. Another list that's not a, a definitive list, but it's another list of things that we need to put off or put to death or put away. What is this list? Anger, wrath, malice, slander, and obscene talk from your mouth. These are other things that need to not characterize a Christian's life. And it's interesting because in verse five, the first list of sins, those were sins about how we feel and what we do. In the second list in verse eight, these are sins about what we say. The first list in verse five, that was a list about perverted love. This is a list, interestingly, about perverted hate. The first list were about sensual sins, and this is a list of social sins, and we need to put them off. Okay, we've got to keep going. Look at verse 9. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self with its practices, and have put on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. Okay, so let's follow the train of thought. The train of thought is, verse one, since I'm raised with Christ and have taken off my old self, like we saw in verse five and then in verse nine, um, I need to be careful not to put the smelly, stinky clothes back on. Now, I, did I say this, this service or did I say this last service? I forget. But like how weird would it have been if I would have walked out of that shower feeling fresh and new and like, oh, this is amazing, and then turned around and walked back and put the, the, the gross clothes back on? That would make no sense. That would make no sense at all. Putting off our old self isn't enough. We need to put on the new. Jesus told a parable in Matthew chapter 12. We'll throw it on the screen for you. And here's what Jesus said in Matthew 12. He said, when the unclean spirit has gone out of a person, in other words, when a demon has been cast out of a person, it passes through waterless places seeking rest but finds none. Then it says, I will return to my house from which I came. And when it comes, it finds the house empty, swept, and put in order. Then it goes and brings with it seven other spirits more evil than itself, and they enter and dwell there. And the last state of that person is worse than the first. See, it's not enough just to put off the old self. We need to put on the new. Now, we're going to talk about that extensively next week, so we're not going to step on the toes of that so much this week. We're going to talk about it more next week. But we do need to understand that what Paul's doing here is he's using the language of a Roman soldier. Okay? So what he's describing is like a Roman soldier who would um, show up uh, to get ready for the battle and he would put off his normal civilian clothes and he would put on his battle gear. Some of you understand this. Uh, quick show of hands. How many of you play hockey? Okay, some of you play hockey. All right. So, so those of you that play hockey or have played hockey, you get it because you show up to the, to the arena and you put off your, your regular clothes and you put on What? Your gear, right? Like your pads and your jersey and all that. We were talking about stinky. And then when you're done the game, you put those clothes off and put your regular stuff back on. This is the language that Paul is using. And look what he says in verse 10. He says that um, when we are Christians, when we put on the new self, that new self is being renewed after the image of its creator. Isn't that amazing? The new self is, is like, this is a present thing. It, we are being renewed. We are being made to look more and more like our creator. This means that the more we fix our minds and hearts on heavenly things rather than earthly things, the more we put off our old self and put on the new self, the more, like Jesus, we're going to look. 
When was the last time you looked in the rearview mirror of your life and did a bit of an assessment of whether you're becoming more like Jesus or less? Now, some of you have been Christians for like weeks or months, and so it's not a far look in the, in the rearview mirror. And so maybe you can see some more radical changing when things are that. Some of you have been Christians for decades. And the question is, are you looking more like Jesus or less? Because if in honest assessment, we're not looking more and more like Jesus, we probably need to ask ourselves a hard question of like, am I even a follower of Jesus? Or are there some things that I really, really need to change? Okay, we gotta keep moving. What's the result of this? So when we put off the old and put on the new, does it have a good result? Well, we gotta look at verse 11. Because Paul says here, all right, so, so when you're being renewed in the image of your creator, here there is not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but Christ is all and is in all. If you would have went to Paul's original audience and if you would have said, hey, who's better? Who's better? Are Jews or Gentiles better? Every single Jewish person would have said, without hesitation, Jews are definitely better. We have the, the, uh, the prophets and uh, God's word. We are God's people. We, like God, we, we are his. Of course we are better than everyone else. They would have absolutely said that. Well, okay, but what about if you're um, civilized versus uncivilized? Because like, that's what, um, when he talks about barbarians and Scythians, what's a Scythian? A Scythian is a type of barbarian, right? So, so the idea is, like, what about civilized people versus uncivilized people? Every single one of them said, well, it would have been better, far better to be civilized. Those people are way better than the uncivilized. And Paul's like, not in Christ. Jew, Gentile, which is better? They would have said Jews are better. And Paul's like, not in Christ. What about in a, uh, in a culture and an economy that has slavery and that embraces slavery? Is a free person better than a slave? Every single one of those people, every single one of them would have said, absolutely, a, a free person is far better than a slave. And Paul says, not in Christ. Because in Christ, what binds us together is so much more valuable than anything that would drive us apart that Christ is all and is in all. In other words, does, it make a, does, does following Jesus make a difference? Absolutely it does. It makes a difference and it shows itself in how we treat each other. In other words, what I'm saying is Christianity and, and, and in Christ is the place that racism goes to die. And I'm gonna argue it's the only place that racism goes to die. Because there's so much more that binds us together than that which keeps us apart. And it's amazing to me that the only thing that the world has to offer when it comes to racism is to replace one type of racism with another type. For real, that is the only thing that the world has to offer. All they have is, well, these oppressed people groups need to get priority now. You need to exalt and, and treat these people as better and these people as worse in order to make up for sins of the past. It's only in Christ that Christians go, hold on, 
one wrong does not justify another wrong. Two wrongs don't make a right. It's only in Christ that racism dies. This is why it was Christians that put to death the transatlantic slave trade. This is why it's Christians that are primarily fighting slavery even today. Has the church always got this nailed down? Has the church always knocked this out of the park? No, absolutely not. However, it's only in Christ that racism dies. So what we've seen is that Paul has gone to great lengths to talk about the fact that the identity of a Christian is primarily Christ, okay? So you're not a, a blank Christian. Like you're not a, I don't know, Sarnia Christian first or you're not a whatever, fill in the blank. You're not a Blue Water Christian versus a Bethel Pentecostal, I don't know, whatever. Fill in your thing. You're not a blank Christian. You're a Christian first. So the Christian is the primary part of your identity. Our culture is just so obsessed with identity. And it shouldn't be surprising to us that cultural messages of identity are really subpar things to root your identity in. They're not the core of who you are. They are your behaviors. They're your physical attributes. They're your genetics. But you are more than your desires. You are more than your cultural, your ethnic background, or your genetics. You're more than that. Are those things a part of you? Certainly they're a part of you. They're an important part of you, but you are much more than that. And only in Christ can you be who God made you to be. For Christians, Jesus is the only identifier. Jesus is the only thing that's significant enough for us to identify in because, like Paul said, if you have died with Christ to your old life, you've been raised with him to a new life and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. May we be those, Blue Water, may we be those who have our hearts and our minds set on things above, not on earthly things. May we be those who long for the day when Jesus, who is our life, appears and when we appear with him in glory. Let's pray. Father God, thank you so much for your great love for us. Thank you that when all was lost and we were helpless and hopeless, that you came for us and you made a way for us to, to put off the old and, and to put on the new based on what you did on the cross. We can't fabricate this for ourselves. All we can do is trust you, believe in you, and follow you. Lord, I pray that this week you would help us to continue to grow in the grace and knowledge of Jesus, our Lord and Savior. It's to him alone that we give all glory, both now and forever. Amen. Amen. Thanks so much for being here, friends. Um, please don't forget that you are loved. <laughs>